The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Globalization is more than a process of corporate expansion, free trade, and instant communications. It is also about a radical ideology, a humanist religion, an effort to replace national sovereignty with global governance and deliver great wealth to the few elite. It is empowered by progressivism and other nefarious societal engines like Marxism, communism that promises utopia, but results in massive vulnerabilities for most people and robs those citizens of their basic freedoms. Are globalists and their unseen co-conspirators really seeking to control the world's power centers like puppeteers? And do they really intend to take over every aspect of our lives? Yes, and it's getting worse. In fact, those same puppeteers really believe they are superior to the rest of us, genetically predisposed, entitled to rule of the world. Tonight, we discuss the deeper state, corrupt elites, secret societies, and the builders of an imminent final empire. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas of Veritas Radio. Our special guest is retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, an experienced and internationally known expert on national security and foreign affairs. He currently serves as a national security and foreign affairs analyst for Moody Broadcasting Radio Network and Salem Radio Network. He is a senior systems analyst with BCP International Limited, an Alexandria, Virginia-based company where his primary duties involve working on multinational programs for the Department of the Army. He's the author of many books, which are linked on our website. Robert McGinnis joins us directly from Washington, D.C. Hello, Mr. McGinnis, and welcome to Veritas. Well, thanks for having me, Mel. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. And how should I address you tonight, by the way? Uh, Bob is fine with me. Excellent. Thank you. Well, even though we discuss the monster of globalism here quite a lot, why don't we begin by you defining the word globalism for our listeners, please? Well, most people think of globalism, Mel, as a corporate expansion across the globe, free trade, which is, you know, for most people, a pretty good thing, instant communication, so you can tune into CNN or Fox News, wherever you are in the world. Uh, you can pick up your iPhone and talk to someone on the other side of the earth or in Antarctica or in the Arctic. Uh, and, you know, that's the typical view. Uh, but I obviously you know, in the deeper state, look something much deeper. And I, you know, look at globalization, as you read, as a radical ideology, a sort of a humanistic type of religion. Uh, they're very anti-Christian, by the way. They don't tend to embrace and they tend to, you know, welcome uh, open borders. Uh, they don't like nation states. They like global government. And, of course, uh, they tend to be very feudalistic, they tend to, you know, be Mark, uh, Marxist to a certain degree in some of their thinking. Um, there are, in my estimation, I identify in the deeper state three types of globalism, Mel. I, I talk about market globalism, which, you know, I think is pretty self-evident. Justice globalism, and we hear about that all the time, especially when you talk about environmental protection, climate change, and those sorts of things, human rights, obviously, uh, but also religious globalism. I, I typify and try to describe this perhaps best as Osama bin Laden's Sharia vision of the world. 
And, of course, he would have had the entire world captivated by Sharia, his faith, if given the opportunity. And that's sort of what I mean by three types of globalism. So, you know, there are a host of people that fit the description. Uh, They have, as I'm sure we'll explore, um, their secret societies. They have uh, great leverage when you look at the data over uh, uh, large segments of our culture and society and governments and the like. So uh, it's a a frightening scenario, quite frankly, and a lot of people are just not aware of the facts associated with this. I have lots of notes here, and later in the show I wanted to ask you about two things, two things that I see as components of what I see as their goal of a global one-world government. One would be a communist style of what we see in China. And second, because they cannot forget spirituality, they want to bring Sharia law, combine those two things. But we'll leave that for later. Now, the title of your book is The Deeper State. We've heard about the deep state. Is there a difference between the deep state and the deeper state? Oh, yes. Uh, and, of course, globalists are all behind this. When when I talk about the deeper state, I'm talking about a three layers. Uh, the first layer is really the political class, the administrative uh, bureaucracy uh, that is behind the federal entities. Uh, you know, it's it's in President Carter's words, it's an oligarchy, you know, unlimited bribery, uh, complete subversion of our political system. This is President Carter, even Bernie Sanders, uh, not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination, says that money owns politics. Uh, then you look at the administrative side of this first layer, uh, and specifically when it comes to mind, I think of Lois Lerner and her shenanigans uh, there at the IRS in going after you know, conservatives. Uh, I think of the State Department and the pay-to-play that we've heard so much about on Hillary Clinton. I think of the VA the Veterans Administration corruption. I think of the DOJ Fast and Furious. I think of the FBI and Andrew McCabe and and uh, Jim Comey and, and all the brewing things today. So that's the bureaucracy. And, and, and frankly, I work inside a giant, the largest bureaucracy in the country, inside the Pentagon. So I see this and have seen this for years and years and years. So I understand how the federal bureaucracy works or doesn't work for the good of the will, or good of the people. So that's the first layer. And it, it also is important to understand that that, that is often uh, referred to as shadow government. There is a legitimate shadow government. That's not the one I just described. The legitimate one, and a lot of people may not be aware of it, uh, is really the continu- uh, continuity of government. You know, they're the people that should there be an explosion that destroys Washington, uh, the rats will go into all sorts of directions. They'll go to secret bunkers all over the national capital region, you know, one near Camp David, one in, in West Virginia for the Congress, another for some of our spy agencies, another for the White House staff. So the shadow government is alive and well, well-manned, well-fortified, well-stocked, ready in case of a national emergency. So you have those two types of shadow governments. Now, The second layer of the deeper state uh, are those that are kind of the puppeteers. Uh, They're the political influencers back there, the lobbyists. And and frankly, I've been a lobbyist for a nonprofit in Washington, so I kind of understand how to do that. 
Um, foreign countries, uh, every embassy in Washington is not only a spy agency, but also a conduit for lobbying people on Capitol Hill for their particular interests in their particular country. Then you have all these interest groups. I used to be a, a vice president for a nonprofit, a 501c3. And so all of these, plus academia and other activities to include rich people, are trying to influence the affairs of government and, of course, Capitol Hill and decisions on appropriations of the trillion-dollar-plus uh, budget that we parcel out on an annual basis. So you have that second layer, and there are prominent people that I uh, profile in the deeper state. I talk about George Soros. Uh, I talk about Hillary Clinton, David Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger, and others. They are typically in four different categories. You know, you, you think of the corporate world, David Rockefeller, the political world, uh, Hillary Clinton, Kissinger is the academic academic world, and of course he came into govern, government as well. And the Soros is a nonprofit who, of course, uh, fuels color revolutions behind the scenes, uh, is a very uh, liberal person when it comes to social issues, uh, and not afraid of doling out his $12 billion as he has over the last couple of decades to all the causes that he supports. So that's the second layer. The third layer is is really the unseen forces. Uh, I should tell you up front that in one of the things I, I don't know if you saw, but I've been in Washington off and on since I was at the military academy at West Point. And during that time, my mother worked here in Washington on Capitol Hill and the Ford White House. But she also had a job as the personal secretary uh, to Gene Dixon. And, of course, Miss Dixon you know, used to write in the newspapers known for uh, her prophetic uh, dis, uh, pronouncements, such as the assassination of uh, Kennedy uh, and the other foreboding things that happened over the years. So she even had access, according to a variety of writings, uh, to uh, the first ladies and the first families in White Houses for, for many, many years. And so uh, she was in what I would consider the dark side. Um, I, I've had encounters with people of all sorts of what I would call occultic, demonic backgrounds just because of the many years working both sides of the Potomac River in and out of government. I've seen things that, you know, show me that uh, the second layer are influenced to a large degree by the third, the unseen forces. And, you know, when you ask Americans or even people across the world, do they believe that there are such things as occultic things or demonic things? And, you know, the vast majority of people in the United States, as well as the rest of the world, say, yeah, we do believe that there are such things, but how do they manifest themselves? Well, I believe because Washington, D.C. is a power center, uh, arguably, of the world, at least today, that if in fact, there is evil, and I believe it's very real, and I believe that there is a unseen realm that is pulling certain strings of certain individuals, that they are very active in Washington just because it's the center of power. So, you know, those are the three layers. I believe it's been around uh, to a certain degree, all three layers, certainly in the United States, for hundreds of years. I go back to the American Revolution, and I saw indicators in that time forward of really all three. 
so, you know, that's the background on the deep state. And of course, the globalists that we are, we outlined earlier, uh, they're the rich people, the deep pocketed people that have one world government in mind that want to control all this. And how do they do it? They are the influence crowd that may have some unseen influence on themselves, and arguably they do. And of course, they manipulate uh, the very malleable uh, political class who must be reelected and have to dip into a lot of pockets in order to do that. And of course, the bureaucracy that often you know seems so elusive to guidance and seems to be on its own course uh, as it proceeds to the future. And that's the religion of most politicians, not all of them. Re-election, folks, re-election. But you said something interesting that I want to dissect for a minute. Shadow government. Everyone thinks that as a negative, but you more or less portrayed it as something positive in case in the event of a catastrophe in Washington, D.C. We should have a plan B. Are these shadow government members elected officials or have they been appointed by elected elected officials no the bureaucrats uh and they have been appointed now there are some of course cabin officials that are designated to go to certain of these sites and and there have been a number of uh you know, publications that have identified some of these facilities and i outlined them generally before but no, they're, they're manned by bureaucrats and guards and people of the intelligence community and, and they are supposed to be ready at the drop of a dime to uh, respond, you know, to a catastrophe. And, you know, of course, this all started during the old Cold War. Uh, I make a distinction about the old, which ended in 1991 with the, as the, 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 the collapse of the USSR uh, and what I consider a new Cold War, which is a different topic of my next book. Uh, but you know, the shadow government has thousands of people working for it. Uh, they don't live here in Washington for the most part. They live elsewhere. Uh, they are uh, these facilities are practiced. Uh, they go through exercises to make sure the communications is working, make sure all the facilities are functional. Uh, this, you know, was because we were concerned in times like 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and other times that there may have been a nuclear holocaust that would destroy Washington, and we wanted the federal government to continue. So that was a legitimate thing, but it was after 9-11 when uh, George W. Bush uh, was in office that they started to pour billions of dollars into uh, these you know, facilities, uh, putting together the continuity of government, and they started to have a, a rather robust full-time staff. They haven't discontinued that. And so the fact that they haven't discontinued it uh, either is because uh, bureaucracies never go away, uh, or it's because they perceive that the threat continues and, in fact, justifies the expenditure of taxpayer funds. What guarantees, Bob, that we won't see, God forbid this ever happens, but we won't see a Gladio type, the cabal that's behind the FBI until recently, the CIA. What tells us that the same type of people might not be in this shadow government in the event of this happening? No, I think it's a fair question. I don't think there's any guarantee that it won't happen. Uh, you know, how many people, you know, I know a number of FBI people that, you know, were just, 
ecstatic that Jim Comey became the FBI director. They said he was an outstanding person. He he was you know above question, uh, an impeccable agent, and so forth. Uh, and now, you know, there, there's good reason to question, you know, his judgment and certainly some of his behaviors and the like. The same thing with Mueller, uh, and, and the same thing with many other people. You know, I think if you don't have checks and balances in place, there's always the possibility, uh, that people will go rogue, that they'll think only of themselves and only of their best interests. Uh, and that's what often happens in bureaucracies, especially bureaucracies that have great power. Uh, and if you don't rein them in, uh, they become like uh, Lois Lerner and the uh, IRA or the IRS. They become, uh, you know, their own uh, fiefdoms and they exercise that power that has been given to them by the people uh, with, without uh, good judgment that serves the people's best interest. So it could become a very scary uh, situation if we don't have good people there. And I'm not sure that we always vet uh, the people we're sending to these locations in the correct manner. Look at what happened to Dinesh D'Souza. And thankfully, he was pardoned a few days ago. But they just wanted to make an example out of him. Absolutely. And that's when a political situation gets in the middle of a, I suppose, uh, empowers a government functionary who is just blindly taking orders because somebody said to do it. And, and we've seen that in Washington time and again through, you know, the, the, the couple plus centuries that we've been around here. You know, it's only more recently when we have uh, reasonably good communications and people are willing to speak out. Do we recognize that historically we've had some pretty bad characters uh, running the country and doing things that uh, if they were exposed, people never would have tolerated. So, yeah, I, I see a danger, certainly in the shadow government, both the one that we call the COG or the continuity of government, as well as the deep state the political class that are totally corrupt in many cases, and certainly the bureaucracy that is a silent killer because they do whatever they want behind the scenes. And we can't even call some of these people to account in Congress because they hide behind you know, rules and regulations for the most part that uh, they make up. Let's dive into more globalism. I remember back in the early 1990s, I worked for a large financial services firm during the implementation of NAFTA. And I had to train American companies abroad about it. I had no idea what that and other trade agreements would do to my own country, not to mention outsourcing. I remember seeing American managers train their replacements in India and elsewhere. And it seems to me that that was a war that didn't require armament. And I know, I know better now. Why did we let it happen? Well, it, it happened. Interestingly, because uh, Bill Clinton uh, was taken in 1991 uh, to a conference that was put together by the Bilderbergers. And what happens at the Bilderbergers conferences? In fact, as we speak today, Mel, there is a Bilderberg That's conference right. going, going on in Turin, Italy. And I happen to have the list of who's attending, which is revealing to say the least. But the Bilderbergers, interestingly. On D-Day. Uh, Oh, on D-Day. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it, it actually begins tomorrow, but uh, they're arriving today. 
the Bilderbergers are what we call the high priest of globalization. Uh, they're, you know, I just described kind of two shadows. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.